Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Hey, welcome Brave Church. I am so excited to be talking about revival. We're going to be finishing today our series in Nehemiah. Nehemiah and all the people had just completed building the wall around their city, around their community, and we're going to pick up on their story of revival in a few moments. When you hear the word revival, What comes to your mind? Uh, A revival is a word that has some history and some baggage to it. You probably maybe have some images of of a large tent or a small country church with a guy in a suit and he's sweating and yelling a lot. Uh, If you're raised in a non-religious church home, when you think of revival, you might think of a bunch of people that kind of have the crazies, right? Um, If you've attended church for a while, you may have your own memories or experiences Growing up, my revival experiences were primarily events. Every year, our pastor would roll out this big, huge banner that said revival on it, and he'd hang it on the side of the church, and then we would invite an evangelist that would come to town, and it was usually two or three nights long, but sometimes if if what we would call the Spirit would move, then it would go maybe a whole week or even two weeks long. Uh, for us kids, though, it was it was kind of a nightmare because we would have to stay up really, really late at the revival meeting, and then we'd have to get up the next morning and go to school. And I always wondered why they called it revival when by the time it was all over, we were all exhausted. But then there's this, uh, what I would call true revival. It's one that makes all the others pale in comparison. It's when people's hearts are genuinely uh, turned to God. People who are far from God begin to sense their need of God. It's uncoerced and it's unsolicited and it's not advertised or marketed. It's a genuine organic groundswell of, of people seeking God. And those were the moments in my life that changed my life forever. And it's often been described as a movement of God's spirit because it's, it's hard to describe or define it unless you've experienced one. The first great awakening happened in 1727. It started over in Germany and it spread to Great Britain and then to the American colonies. And during that time, imagine this, uh, 250,000 people were living in New England here in the United States. And uh, of those 250,000, 50,000 people were added to the church. Just for perspective, if the same thing were to happen today in San Ramon, 20% of the entire community, that would mean 15,000 people being added to all the churches in our city. It would mean 8,500 people being added to all the churches in Danville, 12,000 in Dublin, and 16,000 in Pleasanton. You get the idea. 52,000 people would be added to the church in this valley, in this region, if that exact same level of revival were to happen here. Can it happen here? Of course it can. It's why our family moved to the Bay Area. We believe in revival and its power to change the human soul and spirit and life. We planted a church years ago in Lincoln, California, and we saw 10% 
of the entire community come to Christ just through our one church. In fact, revival, when revival happens, it impacts the culture and it will literally change an entire community. The chief of police said to me, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, before your church started here, our city was called Stinkin' Lincoln, but now our city has been completely transformed. That chief of police had not even been attending church yet. During the Welch Revival of 1904, five million people from all over the world were converted in two years. In Atlantic City, New Jersey, at the time, the city population was 60,000 and only 50 adults were reported unconverted in the entire city. Oswald Smith describes revival as coming like an it's like an unexpected tornado. Uh, the churches were so crowded that multitudes were unable to get in. Back then, meetings would last from 10 a.m. in the morning until midnight with three different services, not on Sunday, every single day of the week. Evan Roberts was the human instrument. I mentioned a story about him in my talk that I gave on finishing well. But Evan Roberts actually did very little preaching. Singing, worship, testimonies, prayer were the chief features of the revival. There were no hymn books. Uh, those who were finding God had not learned hymns in their childhood. They were unchurched people. There, there were people who did not regularly attend church. There, there was no choir. There was no offering. There was no advertising. In one five-week period, 20,000 people joined the local churches. Now, the last major revival that went through all of California was called the Jesus Movement. And it took place in the early 1960s and it went through the 70s here on the West Coast. It spread throughout North America, Europe, Central America, before subsiding in the 1980s. Young people were coming to Jesus Christ by the tens of thousands. They called them Jesus people or Jesus freaks. And prior to that revival was the Charismatic Movement which involved mainline Protestant churches and Catholic churches. Uh, they shared seeing and experiencing supernatural things, similar to, to those that were recorded in the book of Acts. And both the charismatic and the Jesus revivals of those days, they, they were calling people back to the church, but they were calling people to a, to a closer biblical picture of what Christianity is meant to look like. The Jesus movement was so widespread, it left a huge legacy to this day of many new churches that continued beyond that revival, leading literally thousands of people to Christ. True revival changes a community and impacts culture. They are not humanly made or orchestrated. Revival means to bring something back to life that is dead or seemingly dead. Revival, it can mean a private uh, moment when God strengthens us and renews us, or it can also be an event, a visitation, where a lot of God stuff happens in people's lives all at once. Let's join Nehemiah and his people and read about an entire community experiencing a revival. In Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. That, me that just means that they were separating themselves from their worship of other idols. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. 
They stood up where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. Verse five, stand up and praise the Lord, your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. In Israel's revival and all the others that we just mentioned, we see some core characteristics. One, there's a return to the word of God. Two, worship. Three, prayer and repentance Worship to God and giving to Him your whole heart has always been a mark of revival. I believe that worship is a key of unlocking the souls of the people in the Bay Area and helping them to find and experience God. You see, when people are hungry to know God and to praise Him and to worship Him, revival begins to happen. They just want to know more than what this life has to offer them. There's a hunger for an encounter with God. Now, the tension is, is that our spirit wants to seek God. Our human flesh does not. Our flesh does not want to be revived. It wants to stay the same. We want to stay comfortable. It's okay with drifting away from God. Brave church, God wants more for our lives. As one of your pastors, I want more for your life. And so today we're going to talk about how to experience revival. Number one. Do the important stuff every single day. What's the important stuff of your faith? It's reading the Bible. It's talking to God every day. It's praying and seeking God with a sense of intensity and tenacity of hunger. You see, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. I want to tell you a story about a professor in the 1940s. He was a theologian, and his name was Dr. Edwin Orr, and he had a group of university students that he was teaching about the great uh, men and women of God of old, and, and he was teaching about the theologians and the people that God had used to shape culture and impact community. And so he decided, I want to take you on a field trip. I want you to experience their homes and their workplaces of some of these great theologians. And one of them was uh, John Wesley. John Wesley is one of those that is a great reformer in church history, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And much of his writings and much of his doctrine and theology are what the church is built upon today. Well, Professor Orr, his students loved the idea that they could get to go to John Wesley's home. And so on a particular day, they all loaded up onto a bus. They pulled up in front of his actual home that, that he lived in. And, and they walked through those doors. And they walked into the kitchen area there. And they saw the kitchen and the cabinets and the table. And they, they saw where John Wesley uh, must have eaten. And then they walked on into the, to the study. And there was his desk, if you can imagine. And to their delight and surprise was all this literature. There were books that were part of his library, and they were able to touch those books on the bookshelves. And, and there on the desk were, were literally handwritten notes by John Wesley that had been preserved. And, and after that, they, they left his study, and they went up to the stair, up the stairs, and they, they, they went into the most intimate place of all, John Wesley's bedroom. And as they filed into the room, the professor said, come over here and look. And they come over to the, to the side of John Wesley's 
bed, and there in the carpet next to John Wesley's bed, every morning, John Wesley would plant one knee and then the other knee in the same two spots in the carpet. And he would begin his day, not with several minutes of prayer, but several hours of prayer, asking the Lord to bring revival to the church in America. Day in and day out, he prayed for God's Spirit to sweep through America with power and authority, and that people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The prayers of John Wesley and many others led to the first and second great awakening of the revivals in the 1900s that literally swept through our nation. And it was during those times that thousands of people would come to know Jesus Christ. And it started with two patches on the floor in a man's bedroom. Just one man, one person kneeling before God and crying out to God. And it was in that moment as the students filed through that bedroom and they took note of everything and they were in awe of the, of the sense of the presence of God, the holiness in that room. And then they all left the bedroom. They walked downstairs and they headed out to the bus that was in front of his home. And Professor Orr got on the bus and he counted each of the students to make sure everybody was on the bus to head to the next location. And he realized that one of his students was missing. And so he walked back into the house and he went into the kitchen and nobody was there. He walked into the study and by the desk and nobody was there. And so he headed upstairs. And just as he got to the top of the stairs, right as he started to get to the threshold back into John Wesley's bedroom, he heard someone, he heard someone praying. And as he walked into the bedroom, he saw that one of his students was alongside of John Wesley's bed and he walked over and that student had placed one knee in one patch on the floor. And he placed the other knee in the other patch on the floor. And he heard that student praying, do it again. Do it again, Lord, and let it start with me. Do it again, Lord, that people would come to Christ. Professor Orr placed his hand on his shoulder and told that student, he said, the other students are waiting in the bus for you. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went out, went downstairs and got on the bus with the rest of the students. Revival begins with a person. It begins with you. It begins with myself. It begins with us being people of prayer. First of all, repenting to God, ending our focus of, 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 of selfishness, of materialism, and saying, God, we need you as a nation like never before and as a people. But revival doesn't just end with my own repentance. It's when my heart is changed and I begin to pray for other people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is why Brave Church was established. That is the mission of Brave Church is helping people find and follow Jesus. Revival is not ultimately about me. It's not about long services and, and me feeling good. It's about other people. And in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. In Nehemiah's day and in all other times of revival, it begins with a return to God's word. We want to know what God has to say about the issues and values of our day. It begins with prayer and worship and repentance. And people began to want to know God. They want to know what God has to say because we become aware that the world has no answers. There's only strife. There's only division. There's only confusion. 
and we leave the altar of politics. We get our knees up from in front of the television and the politics of our day, and we take our knees into our bedroom, and we begin to hunger for God and begin to pray and seek His face. There comes a point in a person's life when you've got to see it. Racism, hedonism, materialism, narcissism, and cynicism are not the way to live. And you're not going to solve these things by more legislation or more good programs. It is sin. And when you see the ugliness of sin for what it is, you realize that no human effort alone can cause this sin virus to end in our nation. You see, there's a bigger virus than COVID virus. There's a bigger pain in our nation, and it's called sin, and we need to return to God. How do we experience revival? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about a hunger for Jesus, that your life and that my life would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that we would keep feeding off of the land of materialism and selfishness and racism and hatred and violence and politics and turn our hearts to God. And that begins, number one, with doing the important stuff every day. And number two, acknowledging our mistakes and making a U-turn. The way of Jesus is not about payback. Remember the story of the, the prodigal son who could not earn his father's amazing love. Instead, what happened to the prodigal, there was that day, that moment when he owned his mistakes and the reality of how far he had drifted from God, how far he had ran from God. And he said to himself, I need to return to my father's house. And he returned to his father. And what did he receive? He received love and grace. And it changed the way he lived forever. Repentance is humbling, but it's very freeing. Repentance is a good thing. It's not a condemning thing. It's a good thing. It's good for your soul. And the word just simply means to change your mind, to change the way that I think about myself, the, the way that I view God. It's a complete paradigm shift from an old way of thinking to a new way of thinking. And in Nehemiah's day, the people were no longer focused on those who had held them captive. They were people that were in exile. They had been prisoners. They had been slaves to another nation. But now the people of God were no longer focused on those who once held them captive. They were no longer victims in their own land. Instead, they had experienced a paradigm shift in their thinking. They had refocused their eyes back onto God. And Isaiah says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you see the new thing that God is wanting to do in your life? You say, no, I, I can't see it. I understand that. Sin blinds us. That's how far we've drifted from God. We're so numb. We're so distracted by so many things. Sin blinds us. Prayer enlightens us and restores and renews our soul. Let me ask you this. How are you stuck these days? What does it mean for you to be stuck? There are so many reasons why people are not experiencing revival in their daily lives, but one of the most common is unforgiveness. And sometimes it's an unforgiveness that's so deep we don't even want to admit it. It's a resentment so strong, a bitterness so strong, that we don't even want to admit it. Have you ever accidentally gotten a, a blanket wet? Do you remember how, how heavy 
that blanket became. A wet blanket is a heavy burden. Imagine yourself trying to carry around a wet blanket everywhere you go. Unforgiveness is like carrying around a wet blanket of pain. It dampens your soul. It makes everything a little bit harder in life. It makes you feel numb. It takes away your joy, your desire to worship God, to praise, to sing. When I acknowledge my own mistakes first, then I can change my condition. When I forgive others' mistakes against me, I can heal and I can become free again. Forgiveness is when I relinquish my right and desire to punish the person who hurt me. When you forgive someone, you free yourself. And that feeling, it revives you. It lifts that heavy blanket, that burden you've been carrying off, and it gives you hope again. In Acts 3, verse 19, it says, Repent and then turn to God so that your sins, your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Who doesn't need a time of refreshing right now in your own life? How do I experience revival? Number one, do the important stuff every single day. Two, acknowledge your mistakes. Focus on your mistakes and make a U-turn. And then number three, lastly, come back to a heart of worship. A lot of us have been really going through it. Have you ever stopped to evaluate your worship during COVID? Have, have we maintained a worshipful heart? Or have we become distracted by many things, lesser things? Has 2020 taken you away from a heart of worship? You know, the enemy of revival is thinking we're good enough. Being trapped in our own bubble of self-centeredness. We cannot experience more unless we hunger for more. When our lives become more about worship and less about self, revival comes. And it's at the heart of worship is surrender. Now, surrender is an unpopular word because surrender sounds like losing control. Are you struggling with anxiety? Do you feel like you're losing control? In today's culture, we're taught never to give up control. And it's driving us crazy. Never give up control. Fight. Resist. No matter what. Worship is the exact opposite spirit. It's resigning from trying to be God in my own life and controlling everything in my own life. It's saying, God, you, you take care of the outcome. You be God. It's too much for me. You don't have the control to fix everything in your life. It's impossible. You can't be God in your own life. It'll exhaust you. Worship means I surrender. And I return to God by trusting God with the outcomes, by admitting my own limitations, and placing God in His rightful place in my life. When I give all of me to all of Him, when I surrender, I experience peace. The burden gets lifted. I experience freedom again. I, 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 I experience a revival deep in my soul. Listen, oftentimes, what we see in the natural is a precursor to what is yet to come spiritually. Listen, Jesus was crucified and it looked like defeat. It looked like all was lost. Our nation, it doesn't look good right now. 
It looks like defeat. It looks like a whole lot's been lost. But on the third day came resurrection. And Jesus was resurrected in power and authority and grace and love to forgive a world of its sins. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him, whoever places their trust in Him, would be saved. Our nation, our world has been ravaged by a pandemic, a virus that kills and steals and destroys. And I so grieve with with those who've lost family members during this time. Our nation has given its worship up to hate and to violence. And the Spirit of God wants to bring a spiritual virus of repentance and love and forgiveness and revival to our land. How do we experience revival in our daily lives? By doing the important stuff every single day. Find your space and your place to bow your knees before God and call out to Him. Acknowledge your mistakes. Do a U-turn and come back to a heart of worship. I want to pray with you. And if you would like, you can make this your prayer as well. Father, we call out to you. We humble ourselves, Lord. We admit our mistakes and our sins and our failure and recognize our incredible need of you. We repent, Lord. And we turn our faces back to you. And we turn to you. We turn away from our wicked ways. And we ask you to forgive us and to heal our land and to bring revival to the Bay Area. Bring revival to this land. Bring revival to this nation. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by your Spirit. We lift you up, Lord Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit, bring everyone to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.